in, in 20 years' time, if someone came to you, Charlie, and said, you know what, you're going to have a really shit year. You know, it's going to cost you a lot of money. The world's going to change, but I'm going to give you, you know, six months at home, chilling out with your family and kids. Mm. Um, would you take it? Fuck you. Because mm. you're never going to get that time again. Mm. That was Matt Moran and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to culture, community, land, sea and sky. And we pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott and in this podcast series I'll be uncovering the world of regenerative agriculture, its people, practices and principles and empowering you to apply their learnings and experience to your business and life. I'm an eighth generational Australian farmer who transitioned my family farm from industrial methods to holistic regenerative practices. Join me as I dive deep into the regenerative journeys of other farmers, chefs, health practitioners and anyone else who's up for yarn and find out why and how they transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with Charlie Arnott. G'day. Uh, super pumped to have interviewed Matt Moran, the, uh, dare I say, world-famous chef, all-around good guy, um, one of the original paddock-to-plate chefs that uh, turned it into a TV series and has done some amazing things in his uh, illustrious and long career, even though he's quite a young Young rooster, really. Um, I sat with uh, Matt at his uh, one of his one of his signature restaurants, Chiswick in Malara in Sydney, um, and had a wonderful chat with him, looking out over the um, his veggie garden, eyeing off the wood, <laughs> the world famous uh, Malara pineapple that had been growing for some years. There, we did actually later that day. Um, harvest that, that pineapple and eat it. It was absolutely delicious. So we covered a whole lot of ground. Um, Matt's early inspiration, I guess, you know, where he got his inspiration, which was actually very funny, not what you'd expect, to be honest. Um, and, you know, his early childhood was um, on his farm, on a number of farms um, with his family, and then doing going full circle uh, back to a farm um, out towards Bathurst. Um, I let him fill in all the details. Um, we talked about COVID. We gave, gave me a few tips and tricks on cooking, which I certainly need. Um, we had a really, uh, really good powwow, actually. I really enjoyed it um, sitting there with Matt, Matt um, who is, I have to say, one of the most down-to-earth people um, and, and chefs that I've met. You know, he is um, very well-known, very successful um, for good reason, but at the same time is absolutely grounded and you know, sort of guy I could jump on a bike and go burning um, all over the place. Um, and, you know, just a just a good solid bloke. You, you know, he's, he's been able to keep his feet very firmly on the ground. Um, and just before we jump into the interview with Matt, I just want to tell you about one of his projects that I'm involved in called Kitchen Tales. It's on Matt's YouTube channel, Chef Matt Moran, and it's all about him inviting buddies into his kitchen to talk about their childhood and their food memories. Um, my episode uh, is on the 30th of November. That's Monday. Um, other guests of Matt's were Deb Hutton, Maine West, Sam and Ellie Stard, Brooke Boney, Sam Elsom, and Kate P. 
pick. So I'm up there. Uh, second last one. So late, late, uh, late November, 30th of November. Jump on YouTube, subscribe to his wonderful channel there. Learn all about some cool other cooking stuff. The other thing I want to give a plug is to um, the girls from Straight to the Source, Lucy Allen and Tonya Barr, have for some time had a business called Straight to the Source. Um, both girls are involved in the delicious um, Australia, that wonderful uh, magazine and food movement. The girls have made it easy for people, not just chefs and, and, and hospitality professionals as they used to, but also now anyone who eats food, that's pretty much anyone in the world, can get online to Straight to the Source and access and understand and create relationships with the farmers and um, uh, and producers. It's a wonderful thing. Um, jump on the Straight to the Source website, um, subscribe to their wonderful regular newsletter called The Source, it's a wonderful thing. And finally, um, there is a, you know, a, a platform getting us back in touch with our food. It's a wonderful thing. Here we go. Off to Matt Moran. Matt Moran, welcome, welcome to your restaurant. <laughs> here at Chiswick in Willara is the scene of um, many, many, uh, I was going to say culinary crimes, but probably, probably dining and client Crimes. I know I've had a few here back in its Prunier days, mate. If this, um, if the walls could talk, and a lot of these walls, and a lot of them are old, but a lot of them aren't. Um, when we when we took this place over, actually, um, we spent about eighteen months renovating it. And um, yeah, make sure I can hear me. Um, and basically, spent a lot of money on this joint, making it look old again. But uh, this beautiful. this is one of the oldest restaurants in um, in in the country. No this, was, this was a, a restaurant in, it was called Chiswick Gardens mm. in um, 1929. And a, a woman had it and she used to, it used to be a bit of like a soup kitchen for um, the Navy guys down at uh, Woolloomaloo. Who used, used to come up here and, and, and they used to feed them. They trek up the hill. And then someone donated it uh, to the council and that's why, you know, the, the gardens are here. But it is, people say, why Chiswick or Chiswick as a lot of people call it, um, which is fine. Um, <laughs> people at Borua say, and this is fine too, Borua people, in Canberra, not Canberra. <laughs> Canberra, off to Canberra, where? Oh, Canberra, oh, right. Yeah, right. Or, um, bro- or Broccoli. Where? Broccoli. Bro- oh, broccoli. 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 Right. It's just, <laughs> just put it under one label, Brassica. No. <laughs> That's it. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a soup kitchen and uh, and we took it over in 10, I think, and then renovated it, opened around 12. And um and you know that garden there actually mm. you'd be interested in that because that's our beautiful Fantastic. veggie garden you can see the pineapple that we're going to cut a little bit later it's screaming to be um, harvested it is ha- it's screaming and, and I I've been a bit slack because <laughs> I've been a bit busy but um we we can't have anyone out there sitting because the neighbours and it was because this used to be the the bar and that used to be a brick wall there so you really? could never see out out that out to that in that courtyard backyard thing. And uh, we decided to put a garden in there, and, and then we got it all tested, and there was a heap of lead in there. So oh. we basically had to dig that out completely, wow. and uh, and then put all new soil in it, and uh, that's all you know, all organic and and uh, all the niceties that we want. And um, you know, it, it basically dictates what we've got on the menu. And it's food meters. We're not talking miles here, are we? Yeah, food meters. Food meters, like it's literally. Oh, yeah. I need some more. Yeah, of the um, what's that one there called? It's a little bit of uh, mustard, mustardy, yeah, yeah. mustard. Uh, you know that, that. I love that because it, it uh, the older it gets, and the once it, you cut it and you get the second sort of um, cutting of it, it, it gets a lot stronger. It's like rocket. 
Yeah. No, it gets a bit stronger than that. Nasturtium flowers. Nasturtium, yeah. Fresh white bread, butter, nasturtium flour. <laughs> yep. I wrong. think there's some potatoes at the back there too. Um, look, you know, we had a little bit of, um, you know, uh, the garden go missing for a couple of months during COVID. Mm. And we had a lot of stuff growing there, which was great because I'm the only one that had keys to it. So I was coming nicking beans and. <laughs> And uh, lettuces. But everyone like knew that. about it because you were videoing it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they were too. Um, but yeah, look, you know, it's uh, it probably, it was just replanted a bit of stuff there now. I'm not sure what he's got in there. There were some radishes and some stuff in there. We had um, blotty beans that went off this year. Oh, nice. And tomatoes, I reckon we got about 80 kilos over the over summer. Little, little, um, little bloom ones. God, they're good. And this is not a big garden. What it's probably nah. five by eight, yeah. if that yeah. metres. Oh, probably know. fifty square metres. Yeah, there, maybe a bit more. Um, you know, it goes around the back there. But I've got some watercress there. But the whole idea was, you know, and people think, oh, you know, you're so lucky. You're getting produce out of there, and you're not having to pay for it. The garden cost me a hundred grand a year, I reckon. <laughs> so it's it's uh, <laughs> it's only done for you know, um, and you know, apart from the herbs and stuff we get all the time, it's just. What it does to Charlie, and, and uh, it, it's a great thing to learn, um, is where it makes the chefs accountable for what is in season. So mm. whatever we're talking to Peter Hatfield, the gardener, and what we're growing, the guys have to use it on the menu. Mm. And, you know, prior to that, you know, and I was guilty of it, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, where we started you know, growing real asparagus in Australia and, you know, not from the tin. and. And, yeah. and we're using asparagus during, you know, the, the months that we should and then, you know, it would be lazy and it would go out of season and then we'd be buying it from Peru and Mexico. And then, you know, it, it really dawned on me one day. It's like, you know, I remember salmon also, another thing, it used to get it for six weeks of the year, Atlantic salmon, then three months and then six months and then 12 months and you see it in the supermarket bloody everywhere. Mm. And it lost its sort of, um, it lost its romance and it lost its sort of, um, being exclusive and and you know it lost its seasonality, and to me that that's it was quite sad because now when I think of asparagus and you know I don't let the guys buy it from Peru or Mexico or wherever else unless um, they go there unless they <laughs> unless they go there um, they can use it then but what it does do now it it um it it makes me excited to actually you know, when it first comes in season and you get really excited because you really want to use it and you really want to cherish it. And then when it goes, you kind of think, well, I'm going to look forward to it when it comes back again. And I've been guilty of those sort of things for, for years. You know, I, I remember, and, you know, when it's in season, it's coming in. I, I always say to everyone, it's my favourite thing on earth. It's like when figs come in season. Figs, mm. figs are my favourite favorite fruit, you know, no yeah, question. Yeah. Yeah. But then the next month, you know, peaches come in. Oh, peaches are my favourite fruit. <laughs> and then mangoes come in. But you said, no, 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 these are my favourite because they're there. And then and then you get, you know, white peaches and then white peaches yeah, are my favourite yeah, yeah. fruit. So yeah, just a, a perpetual, you know, ongoing thing when you start seeing things and that's when you get excited. And, and to me, I think that's the most important thing with food. Well, you're maintaining the joy all throughout the year, aren't you? You, know, you are. The expectation yeah. and there's the satisfaction. And, and, you know, also it's as a, you know, restaurateur business person, it makes makes bloody sense totally. because you know you, you're paying top dollar for it because it comes from overseas and and when things are in season let's face it you know the first mangoes you see and they come in a pretty average mm. bloody expensive mm. in the middle of the season there's shitloads of them and they're really they're cheap good. yeah and they're good <laughs> you know mm. and at the end of it they get expensive again so as a as a um as a business person it makes sense too so when we talk to peter about what we're growing and you can see the little alphabet things around the little yep 
know, and there's a, a map that you get on your menu and it'll tell you what you're eating where it's and from. where it's actually from in the garden. That's and, unreal. of course, we don't really have enough to go around, but we get we get quite a, a decent cut every now and then. So normally, um, without the COVID going on, there'd be the door would be open. Or people could wander in and have a look. And oh, look, we we can see there's locks. That's to try and keep my chef mates out from pinching stuff. Um, <laughs> you need a bit of barb on the top. Yeah, a bit of barb. <laughs> um, and uh, look, you know, we do open up and let take people out and have a bit of a mm. bit of a wander around and whatever. And everything's edible in there. You know, there's there's nothing that you can't eat. So, you know, every little flower and there's an edible flower and a you know, little, little – uh, there's no weeds there, I don't think. But everything's there you can, you can at least eat. And there's – I can't see my little butterflies that we put on little – that turn around, so, you know, because butterflies are very territorial. Mm. So we've got little things and they, they, they're artificial and they just – by the wind and solar, they just spin around. Really? So butterflies yeah. think it's another butterfly. So oh, they, and they, they won't, won't go, there. go there. I haven't heard about that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realise butterflies were, were territorial. They so are. they're those um, white cabbage moth, the little white ones? Or? Yeah, 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 lots right. of those in there. You and, know, if you uh, plant pennyroyal in your garden, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ground-dwelling thing, nice and low, and when you tread on it, um, it emits it's just this um, beautiful smell and that deters the yeah, right. thing. And so often, you know, in a companion planting situation, you have your – your cabbages and then you have penny roll. The thing is, it goes bananas and takes over your garden. I've always wanted to put a um, a chook or a couple of chooks in there. Oh yeah, and don't uh, put a, don't put a rooster in there. No, no. Your, your neighbours. No, but then, well, after being at your your place, I thought of some guinea fowl. Oh, mate, they're unreal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no but, snails. I have not seen this. I used to go around the garden with a bucket and collecting snails in the morning to give the yeah, chickens. Right. Get it all gone. Snails. Yeah, we we have some snails in there. Yeah, throw um, a couple of them in there. Yeah. They're pretty noisy too. Your neighbours won't like it for that. They are, are they? Oh yeah. Oh, guinea fowl. My God, great yeah. for snakes. But they, when they crank up, they're like a. Well, any of our listeners have got guinea fowl, you'll know. You sort of, it's sort of a love hate because you love having them because they're so useful. But mm. they're bloody noise. Are they really? Oh, yeah. the neighbours wouldn't like that. No, um, we don't have a snake problem here. Um, not the not the ones on the ground anyway. Um, being in Malara, <laughs> I've never never seen the snake here. Um, <laughs> We have, I don't know about up here, but we have a massive issue on the coast, you know, from uh, pretty much from Maroubra all the way to Bondi there with foxes. Oh, yeah, you know, backyards. A lot, lot of foxes, yeah. Well, we spend a fair bit of time in Bronte. Oh, there's, a, there's my butterfly. Oh, there it is. See? Is that yeah. just like, oh, the sun's just hit Sun's it. hit it. There you go. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, mate, uh, we better um, talk. We better, talk. <laughs> we better talk. You've pretty much answered 12 of my questions have already. I? No. Um, <laughs> I, well, I was just going to say this podcast, this interview nearly didn't happen, Matt, because um, a couple of months ago a friend of mine sent me a post or a little video that you were involved in mm-hmm. about, about COVID and, and not doing podcasts. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, oh, you know, it, it was quite funny, that, because the, the Chaser boys who I, I, I know and every now and then they get me to do a little cameo here and there and whatever else and, and they just said, will you be part of this? And, and you know, I've... I'd done a heap of podcasts already, and I just thought it was a bit funny. And I thought, you know what, a bit funny. I, I've got a sense of humour. I copped a lot of flack. Did you? And they copped a lot of flack. It was hilarious. And I thought it was funny. And uh, and but there was because it's ABC, and mm-hmm. everyone's like, you know, there was about two hundred comments on my Twitter about you know D D grade D degrade celebrity summit. But degrade celebrity didn't even know it was one. But anyway, <laughs> and um, you know what? Why are they? Why is the ABC wasting their money on that? And I think oh, I didn't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hang on. And uh, it was just funny how people were really like, 
you know, how insensitive are you at this point in time? I'm like, guys, get over it. It's just a bit of a joke and we didn't get paid for it and I thought it was funny and, yeah, it was just, it's just funny how there's a lot of haters out there, you know? It, and that's something um, that seems to be getting a little bit of momentum and we don't have to dwell on it too much, mm. but that's where, you know, you sort of, sort of like you step out of line, you say the wrong thing, I mean, the mm. wrong, what's wrong, what's right, and, you, and then it's just, it's quite... Um, it's quite taxing having to be so aware of everyone else's needs and mm. and, and and prejudices. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, oh, is it, you know, then, I, then I remind myself and say, well, if you don't have a few enemies, you're not having a go. Yeah, yes. You know? right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I think COVID's brought the, brought the worst out of people and the, and the best. Mm. So, and the only the other day I was in Kemeny's car park and this poor old lady, about, you know, 75, was trying to reverse into a car spot. She was in front of me and I was coming in. There was a guy that was being blocked and she, she just couldn't do it. And the husband got out and he's trying to direct her. And this guy's bipping. I was actually a bit frustrated. First five or six times she tried to do it. <laughs> and <laughs> That'll I, be you. And then the I just realised, you know, oh, God, you know. It's, yeah. And it was right in the middle of lockdown. So everyone was sort of social distancing and whatever else. And, and this guy was getting frustrated. So he started bipping her. And you could just see her. Then I felt sorry for her. The poor woman is now getting nervous, and she had probably a good fifteen goes, oh, and then she geez. just decided leave the husband and decided to go. <laughs> so she came out, and she stopped, and my window, my door was half open, I think, at that point in time. And she looked at me. She goes, "I'm really sorry, I can't do it." And I said, "Look, I don't know you from a bar of soap, but do you mind getting out and letting me park your car?" Oh, so I left my car there and I, I put it in. Then I stole her. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I parked the car and uh, and I just looked at the guy that was bipping. It was giving her a hard time. I just, you know, this guy just yeah. looked at him and just, you know, said, be nice. And I just walked off. And then she said, I know you. What's your address? I said, don't need my address. <laughs> I just stole your wallet out of your car. No. <laughs> she was probably going to want to send you a doily or something. Yeah, I probably want to. But, yeah, it's just, you know, the, the well, it hasn't been road rage because there's been no one on the bloody roads, but. Busy yeah, now, though. I just saw that guy, and I think he, I think yeah, really busy. I think he sort of probably got what was happening and thought, "Is you know what? I probably probably didn't need to pressure her because she probably would have done a lot quicker if if I didn't uh, didn't give her a hard time and bit." This comes up a lot, Matt, um, and my response to it is generally, you know, I look at in that situation, you just look at that sort of that guy who's cranky and newer for a second or two, but then you know, you turn that around, mm. and you think, you know, wow, that what would that person's life be or the stress they're under to be that narky on the horn to an old lady trying to part, you know, sort of like you'd sort of, oh, okay, well, that's, I'm glad I'm not that yeah, sort of Yeah, and I'll, I probably was that person you know, a long time ago, I'd, I'd say. Always well, in a hurry, always doing that sort of, you know. We're going to get to that. Are we? Don't spoil <laughs> Hang on. Thanks, Matthew. That was a wonderful interview. It's, uh, our time's up. Um, mate, let's talk about um, uh your regenerative journey, because mm. I, I know bits and pieces of it, and I'd like you to sort of fill in a few gaps and piece it together. Mm. Um, tell us where where your where or where it began. You know, where your you know your um, where you grew up, and the sort of the, the changes of location, and the sort of how that might have mm. impacted your way of thinking and your career choices. Can you sort of start us at the beginning? Look, the the beginning. Strange enough, I was actually there on the weekend. I went for a big ride. Um, we had a family's from Central Tablelands, Oberon Black Springs, um, and there was a farm there. There was two farms. One was called White Springs and one was called Borkham Hills. 
um, and they were in the family. Booker Mill's probably not as long, but White Springs was in the family for a little over 100 years, from the 1850s. I think it was a, a, some sort of grant or something back in those days that had to clear mm-hmm. it and whatever. And, um, and then my father, my grandfather was one of eight, I think, youngest. Mm-hmm. He got it in the end. And then he had four boys, one from first marriage and a daughter. His wife passed away and he remarried and had my dad being the oldest and two other boys. So mm-hmm. he had four boys. And, um, you know, I think he was a little bit more, um, uh, you know, gung-ho than, than the rest of the family. So he actually wanted to build. And, um, and then he sold, the daughter got married off to the Evanses, and Evans is still in, in Obron. Still there, yeah. yeah there's a lot, of, a lot of them around. Um, and, uh, and then Grandad sold White Springs and moved to, um, I think it was uh, out Nigara, a place called Braemar, they called it. Big, oh, yeah. big place. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, good country up there, as you know, and mm. then sold it and then bought a few places, one at Wallabadar, one at Currabubula, and I think there was another one somewhere mm. for the boys pretty much. Yep. So Dad was young. Dad was only 20, 23, I think, when he got married, maybe even 22, um, and he's still quite young. Dad's only 75. Mm. Um, and Mum was 18, I think, when she had, 18 when she had my brother, or 19, and then 20 when she had me. So we were living at Currabubula. Um, and then I think it just something happened and it turned pretty bad. And I think they sort of found it a bit tough. Um, so they were all sold um, in the mid seventies, and then we moved to Wyong for a year. And then Dad bought a place um, with the family in Badgers Creek, which was the dairy farm, um, off the Parish family, which is the uh, the A two guys now. Hmm. Um, and he he owned all that property out there and made billions. And, and you were what? What? Uh, how old? I was uh, I was six, I think, yeah. when I moved to Batteries Creek, and we were there until we were there for about three or four years, and that didn't go great, and we we basically moved off that. Um, Dad was uh, Dad was um, doing a little bit of AI, I think, back mm-hmm. in those days, for the dairy farm and whatever. So he'd travel a little bit, and we bought a place in Blacktown, Seven Hills. So we, we had no dough; we lost pretty much everything, I think. But they had enough money just to buy a little house in, in Seven Hills. And then Dad got a contract with um, um, with uh, Tooth back in those days. I think it was Tooth. Beer. Yeah, beer. Yeah, right. Of Carding Brewers Great. Getting him. So he used to he used to uh, and then he bought a couple of trucks and um, and we went to school in in Blacktown and um, and then Dad made a bit of money and bought the place in Tarauga, which is only five hundred acres, with his younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then you know we used to go there, you know, being probably 11 or 12, I think, at that stage in Blacktown. Dad used to make us go there every weekend. And Blacktown and Seven Hills is Western Sydney for those yeah, who are yeah, not familiar with yeah. the locale. Pretty, uh, pretty um, suburban, rough sort of, rough. Well, back in those days, it was very rough. Um, yeah, it gives you a bit, good, uh, good bit of, you know, thick skin. I think. Foundation, yeah. Foundation. But, you know, Dad used to, so we used to go back to the, the little place. We used to had sheep and a couple of cows, mainly sheep. Um, and fat lamb, so we'd go there every weekend, and we didn't have anyone living on it because it was too small. And uh, you know, we'd crutch and and mark and uh, and and basically, you know, be farm kids and school holidays, you know, caravan. Um, we and then then he ended up building a house, a little house, like two modular. I think they were from the army and put them together, so they were two identical homes but joined. So one side was my uncle's, and the other side was dad's, and then we'd just stay there and run a muck and mini mokes and. 
you know, go to the pub when we were 15, 16, play pool, um, you know, drive around when we weren't allowed to and didn't have licences and just run a muck, really. <laughs> but I absolutely loved it. Um, and then, you know, at school, I hated school, wasn't that academic. My brother was, he's only a year older. Um, and uh, I said to Dad that, you know, I, I want to leave school in year 10. He said, you can't leave unless you get a job. I'd been doing home science um, at school. Um, the real reason I started it was me and a mate and 18 girls. And, <laughs> you and reckon? Twice, twice a week. At odds are, we, odds we, are looking good. Odds are looking good. And we got something to eat, like a cookie or something. <laughs> I think I came last, Charlie. You were showing your entrepreneurial skills back oh, then. Mate, oh, <laughs> You know, the girls and girls and me, and I think my mate left actually and I, I was the only one. <laughs> and all um, the boys are going, look at you, you're doing home yeah. And they go, oh, hang on. Well, you know, and back in those days, you know, and I played footy and all that sort of stuff and, you know, kids in Blacktown weren't cooks. You know, that just didn't happen. And maybe a baker or a butcher. You know, I did a bit of butchery on the farm. You know, Dad would always slaughter, you know, our own meat mm. and I knew a bit about that and did a bit of work in a butcher shop. And then thought maybe a baker because I like the idea of finishing at you know, midday. Um, <laughs> forgetting, what, forgetting the early starts. Forgetting the early starts. <laughs> and I yeah, had no real love for food because, you know, I'm not bagging mum or dad, but, you know, they were very basic you know, meals at night. It was mm. a piece of protein and three veg. And, mm. You know, my nan was a real home cook and she, you know, put the lamb on on Saturday for a Sunday roast and the Brussels sprouts on Friday and the cauliflower on Thursday, you know. <laughs> That's what it was. It was just like, and it was all boiled. You know? <laughs> if you're lucky, you got a bit of butter over the top of it and some salt. Um, she baked all right, actually. She made good. Sounds like a like it's like a standard Aussie. Pretty much, I think. Food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I often get you know, people saying, "Oh God, you know, you got into food because you must have inherited it from your family." So I started cooking because I didn't have a decent meal until I started working in a restaurant. <laughs> um, that so was your motivation. <laughs> I started part time working uh, in Parramatta RSL. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I read. That. You know, they used to have. Sorry, can I just yeah. segue? I was at a school out there, and um, Parramatta, mm. and um, they used to have twenty cent schooners. Twenty, <laughs> 20 cent schooners at the Padua, at the at the, at the um, Parramatta. Area. Parramatta Ari. Yeah. Um, I went back there with Julia Zamaro on some TV show I did a couple of years ago. Hadn't changed. Oh, really? <laughs> Hadn't changed. And they still did it at the five o'clock um, uh, little, you know, stand up and. Yeah, uh, but the, the the actual kitchen hadn't changed oh, either. And um, I remember I was I worked Friday Saturday nights. I was four. I must have been fourteen, and uh, it was when I was in year ten. And uh, he'd give me ten bucks a night. I think so. I got twenty bucks, and I was pretty happy with that. Um, and I remember one week because I'd basically go in there, at, you know, four o'clock after school, and I'd go straight to the the wash up and just wash up for a couple of hours and get rid of all that stuff that they'd been doing all day. And then I remember after a couple of weeks, he said, "Oh." New job today, Matt. I said, right. He goes, yep, you're going to be chef de planche. I thought, chef de planche? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what section's that? <laughs> he pointed to the washer. <laughs> chef de planche as in you plunge Plunged yourself. In. Yeah. Um, and that's what the technical term was. And, uh, and I remember- well, you, you had a job title at least. Yeah, I had a job title. <laughs> but my main job was, you know, at that point in time, I'd, when the order of the steak came in, I'd run to the cool room and get the carpet bag or the sirloin, because I knew what the cuts were. Mm. Um, so I was pretty good at that. And the guy that was on the deep fry had been there for four years, I think, and uh, all he wanted to do was get on the grill, but that guy had been there for five years. And I thought, geez, one day if I could get on the deep fry, I'd be mm. pretty damn happy. And he said that uh, he'd offered me a, an apprenticeship um, at the end of the year. 
and I was going to be pretty happy with that. I didn't really, you know, didn't inspire. I just thought the bar, uh, the deep fryer would be right for me one day, and um, and had no real love for food, Charlie. To be really honest, and this is the thing that people don't really get. Mm. And the food that I saw there was pretty much, you know, what you'd see anywhere. And um, and I just thought, you know, maybe I'll become a chef and I'll get, you know, I was hit, had my heart set on that apprenticeship. And at the end of the year, things, something had changed or whatever. I don't know what happened. And uh, he said, look, I can't give it to you until July. And, uh, and that meant six months, you know, uh, leaving year 10, what do I do? Um, and Dad said, look, unless you get another job, you're going back to school. So I went everywhere just to try and get a, a chef's job. Thing. I wanted to be a cook. Um, and I reckon I went through 20 interviews. I remember going to one place. The Harbour Watch below the Opera House, uh, below the Harbour Bridge. There, I can't remember what's P one now. I think and the guy said to me, you know, he said, "Great." Um, after the interview, if uh, the first ten don't work out, I'll give you a call. <laughs> He's right, so I'm eleventh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a, a, a ongoing thing. And and you know, I'd make these interviews, and and Dad would take me, drive me everywhere, um, you know, after school or whatever, because I went back to school for a, not very long, but a, a few weeks, and then I went to this. I made an, uh, an appointment to go to this restaurant, which was in Roseville, um, the North Shore, which is about an hour and a half away from Blacktown mm. on the train because you have to go on the Central and then go back out again. And I worked out where it was and I said, Dad, I'm not going to go. You know, and I was pretty disheartened. And I thought, you know, I'll just wait for my, my job at the – go to school for six months and then go and back to the RSL. And, um, and Dad said, no, you bloody made the appointment. You know, you're going no matter what. I went, all right, fair enough. So he drove me after school one day. I think it was a Tuesday or whatever. And uh, I got in there and I realised it was a little house, cottage. Um, and if anyone knows, you know, La Belle Helene, it was possibly, we've been in the top five restaurants, I reckon, probably in the state, which I didn't know that. Yeah, anyway. right? So it was real full-on French fine dining, do 40 covers at night, six nights a week, no lunches, and it was full you know, every night. Roseville's not known for its sort of... It wasn't, wasn't expect. No, well, no, I, I didn't know. I, I just I had no idea. To me, it was just a, an apprenticeship that I possibly could. When I got down there, the chef was the owner, guy called Michael DeLawrence, who I still, to this day, is the most underrated you know, chef ever. You know, he, was, he was technically, uh, and still is, he's a phenomenal cook. He's still oh, with us? I mean, he's just about to open up another restaurant in Brisbane. He's, he looks about 40, and he's about, you know, God knows how old he is now, but he's, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Michael, <laughs> but he looks he looks amazing. That's what that's what I'm trying to say, Michael. You look bloody amazing <laughs> for your age. Um, and uh, and I remember, you know, I don't know whether you'll remember this, but I remember seeing the piece of paper, and he was called out in the middle of the interview, and there was all these names with crosses next to them. <laughs> and I just thought, this is my chance, you know. And I remember saying to him when he came out, I said to him, I said, um, look, you know. I know I don't have a lot of experience. I know I'm only 15, and I know I'm from Blacktown. But, mm. you know, my father's made me work my whole life. I've got good work ethic. If you give me a go, I promise you, you won't be sorry. And I think because I said that, he said, all right, we'll come in for a trial. So I did the trial on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. And that's, that was the biggest defining moment of, of my working career. There's no question. I went into that restaurant those three nights, and I remember the first night Dad came and picked me up and said, how was it? I said, Dad, you've got no idea what they do with food. Mm. 
things I'd never seen before. I, I mean, little things, especially French, French. You know, the, you know their, their style. That they whip up egg whites mm. and they put it into a mold and it blows up. They call it a souffle, <laughs> and they garnish it with a strawberry that they slice and they fan it. Like it, it was, and their sauces actually, which I didn't know that at the time, you know, but I remember, you know, thinking about it. Their sauces are actually come from stock and bones, you know. Mm. But the RSL we used to get it out of a bucket and it was already thick, and that that's a story in itself. Because the second day I was there, uh, Michael DeLawrence, the chef owner, asked me to strain this beautiful game stock. Colander in, strained it, got the bones and took them back out to him. And he said, "Great, throw them out." And I turned around and I thought to myself, if I throw them out, I've got nothing left because I just strained the stock down the sink. Oh, no. I didn't know what a stock was. <laughs> you so, know, I wouldn't be the first person to do No, that. no. And I, I told him that and you could just see the look on his face. Oh, like, oh, he's probably been sitting there for 36 hours or something. Just bloody, right. And yeah. I thought, well, I'm gone. You know, I'm not going to. This is in the, the first three this days. It's the first three days. Oh, no. And he must have been desperate. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. And there was another kid there who's still a, a dear friend. He was a year older than, than me. He was a second-year apprentice. And uh, he was getting a bollocking every day. <laughs> and even though I was only doing a trial, I never did it, got a bollocking. And, um, <laughs> and uh, on the Saturday night, you know, I was just gobsmacked. I, I just could not believe what they were doing with food. And that was an instant love affair. Mm. And, you know, from being a kid in Blacktown, you know, to doing an apprenticeship, six days, and we would work, you know, you know, minimum 12 hours a day. I was doing up to 80, 90 hours a week, sometimes 100, I reckon. Mm. Um, and that sort of, you know, that, that, that was just the, you know, the work ethic and the OCD and everything else that came with it just to be absolutely obsessed by. And Do you think not having a background in food, so basically zero appreciation, I guess, um, and then stepping into there was a benefit? Like in some ways, you had no preconceived notion about the souffle and the fan strawberries, and that, that you know that was new and exciting as opposed to. I, I get asked that question a lot. No, I, I try to think. Oh, back. That's a shit question, then, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, I often try to think whether you know there was an appreciation of food, I, and I don't. There was obviously something there, you know, with the farming and whatever else, but I, I, I never actually put those two together. And maybe it did make a difference later on, but I, I just. I was so inquisitive of what they were doing with food, and um, you know, I, I just, I just fell in love with it. I just, you know, it was just, it was just something that I, I became obsessed by, and I just, you know, and it, it got worse because I remember you know, Sundays I'd be so bloody tired, and I'd go and meet all my mates on a Sunday afternoon at the Oval, and you know, they'd be, and I never said a word to them. I, I seriously never spoke about it because I just thought I was. Weird. Mm. I thought there was something wrong with me. Mm. I thought, oh, why, why am I so different to them? Because Sunday they'd be going, I've got to go to work tomorrow. I hate my work. Mm. You know, jeez, oh, I can't wait for the weekend. And I was working Friday, Saturday nights because you only ever work nights. And, uh, and I used to sit there and think to myself, why do I want to go to work tomorrow? Why do I want to go in two hours early to actually spend with the pastry chef to actually learn how to make puff pastry or learn how to pipe mm. a eddy for or whatever else? Why am I like that? Why can't I wait, get on that train and, and, and get to work? And, you know, that, that was, you know, then I realised, you know, and, and that made of mine, Pete, if you ever watch this, mate, I remember when you used to get bollockings all the time. In the first year that I worked there, I realised that, you know, I was something a little bit more special because I was never getting yelled at. Yep. And then, you know, by the time I was a third-year apprentice, 
shops. I was sous chef there. I had all these 30-year-olds working underneath me. I was only 17, 17 and a half. Oh, wow. And then Michael bought another restaurant and made me head chef there for all. Where was that? Uh, he bought another restaurant out west. It was a big function centre. Um, he's wanted to make some dough, I think, and, and he left me there, you know, five nights a week and he'd come and work with me on the Monday nights. We'd do menus and stuff. And, and that's when I left. I was there for five years. And um, I had started my own business making cakes and tarts for Valley Little. He used to be the editor of Delicious magazine. Did a little cafe in Rosa, so make date tarts, bakery tarts. That's where the pastry background came from. Mm. Um, so I'd go home from La Belle at midnight, roll pastry until, you know, one or two in the morning, get up at six, bake them all, drop them off on the way to work. I remember I had them all in the back of my car one day and someone ran into the back of me and oh, no. and tarts everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering, because you, on your little videos there during the last couple of months, you did a date tart. You had the sort of the, the pastry and the thing and you the dates, and mm. then you poured like a custody. Was it a custody thing? Mm, mm. Like a brulee. I was just going, how does anyone know how to do that? <laughs> no, uh, I look, you know, I've, when I often say to people, my first business was a tart business. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Confucius joke about that. <laughs> and you the tarts, tarts were all smashed up in the back seat one day. <laughs> <laughs> Out of context, that's a, that, yeah, that um, yeah, could yeah. mean anything. Um, and, and so – when did um, I guess there's there's the there's the love of food and the craft and the, the sort of the artisan um, trade of 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 being a chef at mm. that time and you in, in your apprenticeship. At what point were you already aware of food quality, or was it more that's a tomato? Yeah. I'm going to chop it up in a nice way. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, at La Belle, it was all about you know cooking and technique and refinement. Um, and no disrespect to Michael, but it was it was it was what he'd been taught, and it was all about you know um, it was all about the basics of cooking and learning how to cook. I learned how to be a chef. Yep. I learned how to cut up things. I learned how to make pastry, and I learned how to make souffles, and I learned how to make terrines, and I learned all that that technical stuff that you you know you really need as a chef. And and I remember Chrissy Mansfield once said, you know you. You know, back in the early days, you always find a chef that's been classically trained because he can cook. He knows how to cook. Mm. Um, it was the second job um, that I went to, which was it was the the top, would still been the the you know, highest ranked three hat Italian restaurant in, in Australia, which was called the restaurant, which was the restaurant Manfredi. And I'd given I was at La Belle for nearly five years, and I gave him three months' notice, and I got a phone call one. One night when I was at La Belle and it was Stefano Manfredi. And Stefano Manfredi to us was a god. Mm. And he said, oh, hi, Matt, I hear you leaving La Belle. Do you want to come work for me? I was like, fuck. I was about to go overseas. And I thought, so you you're know 20. Uh, well, yeah, I was 19, 19 actually, 19. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, turning 20, I think. And, um, and I thought, God, you know, of course I do. So, you know, I went there as with the family. So the younger brother, Franco, who I actually used to live with Franco for a bit, the mother, um, and it was a real family business, but I was employed as sort of um, sous chef, pastry chef, but then kind of would run the kitchen when Steve was leaving. So it was kind of like an acting head, sous, whatever, all rolled into one. Um, and, uh, and I'll be honest, you know, I, I went to Manfredi. I learned how to make great pasta, don't get me wrong, but I didn't learn any real cooking techniques because I'd, I'd done that at La Belle. What I did learn was about food. Mm. And Charlie, it was that real explosion. It was eighty nine, and it was that real explosion. There was Barry McDonald doing Paddington Fruit Market. Simon Johnson, who was working for him then, and you know was in the produce. Uh, John Sussman started the Flying Squid mm. Brothers. 
And it was all about this seafood and veggies and stuff I'd never really seen before. And rather than being exported or, you know, packaged up and sent wherever the prawns, Sussman was bringing them into Sydney. So we started seeing things like coffin bay scallops and, you know, southern, um, southern calamari and, and scampi from WA. And, and, uh, and what I learnt at Manfredi um, was about produce. And that was, that was a real turning point. And, and then after both of those experiences, you learn how to cook, you learn about food and then uh, and produce, and then it was about time that I went out and did it my own. So I left there in 91 to open my own place with a guy, Peter Sullivan, who's my partner for 20-odd years. Um, he's pretty much retired these days, Pete. Um, but we started Pado in 91 and I was 22. Oxford Street. Yeah, I didn't want to be told yeah. what to do anymore, so that's... Yeah, by, I didn't want to work for anyone anymore. So in working on your own or for yourself, mm. what did you learn that you wouldn't have if you just, you know, gone to another one and worked for someone else? Mate, you know, I remember. And I'm, I'm thinking, you yeah. know, up-and-coming chefs, they're sort of, you know, in that situation, they're yeah. working with someone else and they're going, you know what, I want my own little. You know, the ego was up there, you know, and, you know, it was, it was, I was pretty, I was pretty hard to work for, I think, back in, back in those days because, you know your names on the door and all that sort of stuff, and yeah. and um, and uh, you know I remember saying to Pete after the first couple of months, think how easy this, and we've got so much money in the bank, but we had no idea about business. We just weren't paying people, you know, we're paying our staff, of course, but we just weren't paying people. We just didn't really know what we we're doing. So we kind of kind of got uh, Peter's wife actually at the time, uh, still is sorry, should I say? She came in and, and started doing the books for us, but. What we'd learnt very quickly was about business. Now, I could cook and run a kitchen, Pete could run a floor, but we didn't really know where we were going. And we weren't, we weren't really making money either. You know, we were making a wage, I think. And we did everything ourselves. You know, I'd go to the markets two or three times a week, which I did for five years, which is great because I got to learn, you know, all about, uh, and I'd see produce all the time when it would come in, but I got to learn all, all about those, those characters that are at the markets, mm. um, which was, you know, experience, um, I would never give up, but geez, it was bloody hard getting up at you know four o'clock, you know, getting out two there. three times a week, mm-hmm. and then have to work all day. And I used to go to the flower markets and buy um, uh, what I used to buy. What are those ones that Barry Humphreys loved for so much? Oh, bloody gladiolus! And I'd do the flowers. <laughs> I'd do the flowers. Oh, really? <laughs> Mate, I'd do anything and everything because we had no dough either. Um, and it was a great learning experience. We made you know we got a chef's hat there when I was twenty three. Yeah, nice. We were really busy. Um, we got a name for ourselves. You know, we got heaps of press, um, and it was a bloody great experience. But you know, we realised the business side of, of things. We had to surround ourselves with people that knew more than what we did, and we learned from that. And 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 that was that set us on our way. And then you know, ninety five Morans came in, and mm-hmm. then and then uh, opened a little French bistro called Bon Femme Darlinghurst with Genevieve Copeland. It was my old apprentice. Um, I had a place, not many people know this, I had a place in the city in Pitt Street with um, uh, Kirk Pangilly out of In Excess, mm. you know, my best mate at the time. It still is one of my best mates, buddy. It was also in my bridal party <laughs> 20 years ago, so we've been mates for a long time. So we, we had a little restaurant there that um, uh, it's, uh, it's now called Minx and has been for 20-odd years now. It's one of the top strip joints in the city. <laughs> I was going to say. I'd only, I've only heard about it. <laughs> I've never been, never been back. But they, they bought it and, uh, and turned it into a great strip joint, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, no, it's not, it wasn't good for my image or Kirk to, 
When they actually said they came to, we want to buy it, and we weren't making any dough out of mm-hmm. it. I think we lost a bit of money actually. And they said the strip tour, and I said, Kirk, maybe we should. And he's like, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say you can have the restaurant, but we just want like free membership? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you had yeah. a kickback we need. We <laughs> get that. And then sold them all to do Aria. And then that's, that's uh, and Aria was to me was the, you know, that was the, the, um, the big one, you know, that was the, the biggest fit That's out. the jewel in the crown. The jewel in the crown, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, spent, God, God knows how many hours. We had, we actually closed for the first six months on Sundays just so we'd have a day off because we knew that we'd never yeah. have a day off. Um, and, you know, and that went for a couple of years like that, you know, a few years that we just worked ourselves to the bone. And I suppose that's another big pivotal moment, you know, do we stay in Aria and have one restaurant? I think we'd just opened Opera Bar, but we really wasn't in there. I wasn't in there. I was still in the kitchen at Aria. And it was that point of, you know, do we actually get bigger or do we just have one restaurant for our rest of our lives and, and be happy and make that the best? Or do we have these incredible staff around us and do we start to expand? And that was another big turning point, I suppose, is where we decided to, to get bigger and give other people opportunities. And why, I suppose, even now we've had so many people. You know, the girl at the front desk at Aria has been there for 21 years and prior to that she used to be them. So we've had a lot of staff that have been with us. A long period of time, and a couple of things there for those who don't know, Aria is one of Sydney's most. Um, I was not say prestigious because I don't really like the word, but it's one of the most popular and well-known and and you know um, uh, you know everyone has a soft spot for Aria. Yeah, you know, and you know, there's so many great stories that have come out of Aria. You know, a lot of a lot of great cooks have, have been mm-hmm. there, chefs, cooks. They've gone on to do amazing things and, and now own their own empires. Um, mm. You know, there's been a lot of great memories there and, and, uh, and we'll, we'll continue. We've, we've been shut, obviously, COVID. And we're, um, you know, it, it, it has the Opera House that it relies on. It has tourism that it relies on. It has corporates that it relies on. But we're, we're reopening it slowly. So um, Bastille Day, 14th of July, mm. my daughter's birthday also. Um, we're reopening only five nights a week and just see how we go. And we're slowly going to open it back up. But Aria is a very important place for me to reopen because it is, it is a jewel in the crown. Um, and, and with expansion, Matt, um, what would, and again, I'm sort of in the context of those listeners and, um, and it's not just about chefs listening but other people, you know, what, what are some of the things that you were, had to do or did do to sort of, you know, expand in, in that, you know, what was working at Aria? Mm. Was, was systems in place and processes and the mm. right people. You know, mm. What was it that allowed you to successfully, you know, almost um, inoculate a new location with the same sort of vibe and the same sort of, you know, sort of Yeah, processes? well, that's when someone else came in. Um, you know, my old landlord at Paddington Inn, um, Bruce Solomon, who um, was a barrister. He always says he wasn't much of a barrister and his family were in pubs. So he always says, I went from one bar to the other. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, it's a strange thing because he was my landlord at Paddington Inn and I went to him one day. I was a kid, right? And he, he, he took the punt on me being 22 to run his pub bistro. And, uh, and, you know, he did. He knew me from Manfredi, so he knew that, you know, I could cook. And uh, in many ways he, he became a friend, but he also became a, a mentor. Mm. Um, you know, he was older, wiser, smarter. And, uh, and I learnt a lot from him and just being having a friendship. And when I told him I wanted to sell Paddington Inn and 
I was looking for somewhere else and I didn't really have anything else. And God, that's why you do that. You go to your landlord and say, I want to sell, but I want something else. And I don't have it yet. You know, can you help me? <laughs> yeah. And no and no. Well, you, you, you would think that's the case. And, and you know, that, that's what you would think. Mm. And he said to me, he said, look, I'll keep an eye out for you. And this is a bizarre story because, mm. you know, it used to conflu- confuse me for, for a couple of years <laughs> as to why he did that. And he said, I remember him saying some words to me. So he actually came to me one day and said, Matt, I know you've got a buyer and I've got a mate that's got this building. He's not in real hospitality. He opened it as a cafe um, and uh, he's just bought a pub in the city that he wants to renovate um, called CBR Hotel. Mm. And that was their first pub. That's the Hemi's family. Yeah. It was John Hemi's, Justin's yeah. father. CBD was the first one. Yeah. And yeah, he had yeah, Maryvale, yeah, which right. was the, the um, used to be the giraffe restaurant in Potts Point. And he said, look, he wants to get out of it. Um, and he's asked me if I was interested. He said, look, he probably won't just give it to you. But if I say to him, you know, that I'm going to go in with you and I'll pull out at the last minute and you can have it. And I always thought, why the freaking hell would you do that mm. to me? Why, why would you actually, you know, help me do that? And I'm leaving your venue. Mm. And he said, Matty, you never know one day I might want your help. And you've done the right thing by me. And I was like, you know, what a, what a, and, and we, we became very close after mm. that. And then uh, that's how Aria came, because he came down to Aria and said that they were going to tender it. And I'd never seen it. And it was a toaster building. Everyone hated it. Mm. And he came down and, and we'd opened those other restaurants. He wasn't never part of that. And Bruce said, um, you know, I've got this site. Um, <clears throat> can you have a look at the, the kitchen for me and, you know, give me some plans and whatever else? And I said, yeah. And, uh, and then he said, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. Can I tend to put your name and you pull out and whatever? And something about it, I can't quite remember, but it went along those lines. And then he said, look, you know, I'm looking for a chef to own any young kid that might want to do it. You know, I'll even give him a, a bit of a share of it. And he can pay it back 5%, 10%, whatever else. He says, it's just the best location. And he says, you should come down and have a look. So I went and had a look and I went, Oh my God! What what an incredible view! And this is when yeah. it was a shell, and uh, so this is overlooking the harbour. For those who don't yeah, know, the toaster building—it's sitting there in the yeah, key, 90, just sort of ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, and I said to him, I said, "Mate, you you want me to do it?" And he said, "Oh, you know, you'd have to sell the other venues." And I said, oh, "I'd do it on one proviso that you know the the, the two companies are fifty-fifty." And I suppose that's why it's always worked out with Bruce, and we're still great partners mm-hmm. and still. And a lot of stuff together. We ended up buying the property together at Aria and stuff. And, and you know, we're, we've got a great partnership. But it's always been on that basis that we've been equal. So equal say, I suppose. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's been a, a – and I ended up buying Peter out of that side of it. But Peter, Peter left. Um, oh, God, mate, five, six years ago now. Yeah. I'm still missing, don't get me wrong. But, um, and now Bruce is sort of, you know, a little bit old and his kids are coming in, which is great because I've got a great relationship with them and they're very bright kids and – it's kind of, you know, even though you don't feel as though you're, you're old, as older than them, there's a real young direction coming into the, into the business, which is a good thing to. And with the, um, the, the um, moving to other venues, so, so you, Aria. And yeah, then, did I answer your question? I probably just went on another roll, didn't not, I? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, apart from, I guess, well, I mean, it's a really important thing, having a great business partner. Yeah. You know, because that's the, you know, you, you, you're contributing different skill yeah. sets to, yeah. the, to the operation. Yeah, you know? we are. We are. And, you know, it's run under a management company. So there's two management companies that, you know, there's mine and Bruce's and we do our own thing and, and we bring different things to it. And, and uh, you know, <laughs> people often comment, you know, 
about Bruce being the silent partner mm. and I said, <laughs> I call him the not-so-silent partner <laughs> um, because, you know, it was really hard at, at RA being a chef and having the ego and this is what I want to do and this is how I want to do it and we'd have food tastings. Mm. We've got one today. We've got yeah, one today absolutely. at Aria. And, um, and Bruce, you know, would come to the food tastings and he would say, you know, oh, Matt, you should do this and do that. Just, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a cook. Just do it how I want to do it. And that took me a little while to sort of work out. And the ego slowly went. And it, he, what he brought to the table was a, a customer's point of view. Mm. You know, otherwise, you know, I'd be having sweetbreads and pig's heads on, on everything. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what chefs do. Um, and that, that really opened my eyes. And I think a lot of chefs that have worked for me over the years, they've also gone through that process too of, you know, the customer. Mm. And that's only going to make their restaurant better. It's mm. not just about what they want to cook and being a real you know, chef's kitchen. You know, it's about, you know, thinking about other people and, and what, they, what their needs are. Keeping and, their feet on, you keeping, I guess, keeping the chef's feet on the ground. Hundred yeah. percent, and 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 that's what um, that's what you know, Bruce and uh, and Peter. I think you know, Peter's not part of it now, but Bruce, you know, really brought to the table is where, you know, and even today in the tasting, it's it's uh, it, it's fun. You know, yeah. I, I I actually, you know, he's often saying that I don't need to go to a food tasting at North Bond, no fish, or you know, the art gallery or whatever else. But I think it's always really important that he he comes to that that uh, that aria tasting because. He does love Ari just as much as I do, and he eats there more than anybody. Never pays, but apart from that, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll catch up. We'll catch up. <laughs> um, Matt, I want to talk about, um, I guess, the industry, and, and we've had a number of chats um, uh, over the last little while about, I guess, um, the, you know, the. Um, the years incidents of, of suicide in the in mm. the industry, you know, and mm. it's and, it, and and you know, and my sense is it seems that you know maybe I didn't know about it some years ago, you know, and, and it, my sense is that it's you know there seems to be more of that happening in in the industry, and maybe it's always sort of been a, a bit of a characteristic. Why do you think? You know, what is it about the hospitality industry, the, the restaurant industry, that is? Um, I know. Why is that so? Look, I think a lot of it's you know, you know, there's a bit of legacy there from what it used to be like in the in the early days. You know, um, man up, harden up. You do the hours, you know, you do the days, you do the stress, and it it is high stress. There's no question. And you got hundred diners in there that want their food here, and they don't know what goes on the back, and and they're demanding and whatever else. And you're sitting there, and you're, you're being pressured, and 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 you know, it's changed a lot when it comes to hours and, and what you do, but you just, it's all about how tough are you and how, how many hours can you do in a week and this is what we do. And, and, and it just, you know, even after LaBelle, I was, I was worn out for a little while because mm. you know, we were doing massive hours and, 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 you know, never, never suffered from any sort of, you know, mental, mental illness or whatever. But I remember at LaBelle, being 19, thinking, I'm burnt. Mm. I, I've lost my teenage years. Really have lost my teenage years because you know, I worked every Friday, Saturday night, and Sundays I was too stuffed to do anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Man Freddy was a little bit easier because it was less hours. But then I went back into the long hours. But you know that was not just talking about me, but it was a real legacy for for young chefs. And and that's just what you did. You expectation expectation mm-hmm. of just working really hard, and um, and not probably having the support. 
and and I think you know a lot of groups now are, are really taking that on board and 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 helping whatever in whatever way that they can. Um, uh, we talk about those chefs that I know that have you know suicide, and they all had characteristics of mental health or common knowledge. Um, and I suppose you just don't know when someone's going to do it. Um, but yeah, it, there was a spate of them. Um, over a period of time, and and that really brought a lot of it. But there's a lot of other people that weren't famous or weren't well known that were uh, killing themselves too. And and you know, I, I think there's a lot more, a lot more openness. I think happening in in our industry, and there's a lot more talking about it. And and if someone you know, you know, there, there's a lot more care involved. Um, but it really came down to you know the culture that was in kitchens, um, the aggressiveness. That were in kitchens and just the hard work and and you know being a perfectionist and you know, things things just ticked you know and I know with with two of those three guys those big high profile guys you know they had their own businesses and there was pressure and financial issues and and um and then you know one was working for someone else and and you know, always suffered from bipolar and and yeah just it was tragic and all three of those guys were, were pretty good mates. It's um it's not dissimilar. Um, We're to, talking about Jeremy Strode. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, uh, Justin Bourne, Tony Bedane. So yeah. Um, it's not dissimilar to the to the situation in farming. Is no, it? I mean, and you're you you're, you're pretty <laughs> close to that sort of world as well. And and probably probably just as much, if not more. Um, you know, farmers, as you know, they're very proud people. They always have been, and they don't. You know, I look at my father, and you know, it's it's it's. Uh, they don't like to go to doctors, you know, to dentists <laughs> for any reason. Asking know. for help, no. And let alone going saying, hey, you know what, the stress of this is really hurting mm. me. There's no way. And, you know, what worries me is, you know, we know farmers and suicide, but how many of them, how many, how many of them are suicide that hit trees? You know? Yeah, know. I think I know a few... Um I think I know a few people that um, that has happened, and it's it, and it's not something you really want to put on the table. No, you know, no, you, you don't suspect. Um, you know, farming. You know, as you know, the older I've got, the more passionate I am about, and the more I want to do my place. Because um, the, the farming, you know, Dad had Traugor and he sold it and bought a bigger place, and mm-hmm. with my uncle, and then we three of us bought the place we've got now, the bigger place. Um, then I bought my uncle out and, and, you know, dad and I are obviously partners in it and dad's, you know, works on the farm and, you know, dad's, dad's a great farmer. Um, but, you know, I've got to keep the costs every now on my top of it. We're doing some new things. <laughs> Again, do the, you've seen the place down in Gundagai that's got those little echo places. Kaimo? Kaimo, I think they call it. Kaimo Estate. I can put little echo places around the little, farm. Um, yeah, little, little dwelling, little, yeah, little, little, little cabins that you can rent out. Really? Yeah. Are they sort of, um, uh, semi-permanent or they're so, permanent. so they're not sort of like oh, no, no they're, permanent. they're, gonna, they're permanent right. and my brother's in the building game so he's uh, he's going to come along for the ride and, and we're going to build we're going to put three or four of them first mm. off and they all have their own access from the road so it won't even see them we could put little packs there and a little barbecue and they've got these guys from New Zealand that make these incredible stainless steel wooden wood-fired um, bathtubs or hot tubs. Oh, nice! And yeah, it's fire up. So you've got to build your fire and whatever, and you hit your outside water up. view. Yeah, view, and oh, then cool. you know power comes from the battery and solar, um, rainwater tank underneath. Um, might have to hopefully in the dry 
parts might have to top that up a little bit, but pretty much self-sufficient. You mm. go in, you punch in a code, you stay there, and uh, and you know you can do a pack and barbecue if you want, and, and you just you know stay there for the weekend or whatever. And and uh, and the guy, the guy, gun the guy, he's got three of them. You can't get in for two years. Really, I've um, checked out. Unbelievably yeah. busy. Really. So we've we've just quoted them up, and and hopefully we can start building and have them hopefully by you know Christmas early next year. We, we some years ago looked at um, we got a, some plans made up to put some yurts, you know, um, mm. sort of you know a bit of an area and a, you know a bit of a, um, I think it was eight or ten and and do that sort of thing, but that sort of went by the wayside. And we sort of thought we actually don't know if we want all these people near us all the time. And that's 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 the part of the the issue that Dad had. Mm. But you know, if they come in off the the tar on the high side of the the property, which has beautiful views, you won't see them. No. And you, you give them a map and tell them where to go because you obviously don't want them to go on the bull paddock or whatever. Um, go to the killer paddock. <laughs> what killers? You know, tell them where to go and, you know, there might be snakes and whatever else. Mm. But I think people will probably might go for a bit of a wander mm. or a walk or whatever, but they won't go far. Um, and, you know, they just have a code, they log in, mm. and, you know, they come in, they leave, you don't even see them. Tell me, Matt, about the, the sort of the, the – the completion of the cycle almost of you started you were on a farm you grew up on a farm you know that farm um, you moved on a number mm. of times and now you know many years later you're you're back in a farming situation what does that mean to you as a as a restaurateur and a chef and, mm. and, and that connection with food and, and what does it mean to your dad do you think Charlie it, it is there's no question the farm's my happy place there's no question in the world when I when I and you know anyone that knows me when I go to the farm and they're with me, it's just relaxed, mm. and you know it's just for any reason I I just love I love the air I love the farming I love the animals you know I, and I want to do more with it um, you know, as I as I get on I don't know I think I'll ever go back there full time, mm. um, but you know, my life is in the city my kids love it. Um, it means a shitload to my father. Mm. I'm very close to my dad. Mm. I'm close to all my family, but you know, particularly, particularly because you know, I spend a bit of time there. Mm. Um, I think it means the world to him. You know, Dad's a country guy. He's never really, never really shows his emotions. But you know, a lot more in the last few years, he'll he'll actually say things to me that he's never said. And you know, there's one thing that really got me. He said, you know, I want the kids, my kids, to come to the farm as much as possible. I want to spend time with them that I've never got to spend with you guys. And that kind of, you know, showed me got a bit softer in his ears. <laughs> but, um, you know, it just it means the world to him to have that farm and, and, and live on it and, and do what we do. And, and he loves his farming. You know, we've got some great pigs at the moment. In fact, mm. I've got a ham for I've you. Been watching, you I've been watching. I'll give you a ham before you go. Really? Yeah, I've got some ham bacon out the back. Unreal. Berkshires. I've been salivating your Moran, um, Moran um, ham and pork on the on the. Where are you headed up? Are you going to Bora or are you? I'm not, te- I'm not telling you the secret. <laughs> no, not, got, not Victoria. <laughs> I've got um, who am I interviewing um, today? Um, who am I? Who's the president? Who's the prime minister at the moment? Scott Morrison. Morrison. You got no, him? I'm not him. No, <laughs> no not him. No, I'm um, Dr. Ron Ehrlich. I'm actually oh, yeah. interviewing today as well. Yeah. Um, the holistic dentist yeah. and Sarah Wilson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know Sarah. Yeah, yeah. tonight. Is the plan tonight? Yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm I'm leaving town tomorrow. I've got to, I'm driving my stepdaughter's car right up, up the up the coast right to do a few more interviews up there. 
Um, where what are, oh now a couple of quick little things. Mm. I'm looking at the time and we're just maxing out, but I'm really enjoying it. Tell me um, some quick ones. Man, you got a lot out of me. <laughs> I know. I Jesus Christ! Way. I got a bit of mush there at one point. <laughs> Didn't I? I was thinking about my pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> the rough end of the pineapple. The rough end of the pineapple. <laughs> um, olive oil. Yeah. Is that we can we can we heat up olive oil and cook with it, or no. is it best on a salad? No, mate. Olive oil to me is a flavouring. Um, you know, once you once you heat it to a certain temperature, you've ruined it anyway. You may be a pomace oil, which is a lighter oil with veggie. Um, grapeseed oil, I reckon, is the best. Uh, for, a little for, more expensive, for cooking. just for cooking yeah. because it's, it's neutral. Um, and olive oil, you know, olive oil it should be in a dressing or drizzled over the top. Um, resting steak or not? Oh, you have to. Um, you know, it, it's you know, even if it's only a couple of minutes, unless it's really thin, right? Mm. Unless it's a minute steak, um, you have to rest it and let those juices sort of you know come back into it. Really important. And that you you put some foil, or you just sit it there. Just sit it there, and then you flush it back on the grill or whatever you, you want. I you know I did the other day. I did some bloody short ribs, smoked them at home, and my son said to me, "That's the best thing he's ever eaten in his life." I just Fair in the in the, in the blue um in, in the, the green egg. The egg, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, it was good. Actually, I saw that one. Bloody that God. looks like a ripper machine. I've just, machine, I've just ordered a whole brisket. Got one at the farm too. Um, you're showing off now. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a chef. He's talking about food. Um, advice for young chefs. You know, you. Oh, that's an easy one. That's uh, is it? Yeah, don't um, don't do it for for fame and glory. Mm. Um, do it because you have a passion for it mm. and you love it because it's just. Too damn God bloody hard. Um, great advice I can give to anyone, and I say this to my kids all the time, do what you love in life and you'll never have to work another day. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I have bad days, but mm-hmm. I still get excited mm-hmm. about food. And yeah. that pineapple, pineapple. <laughs> I've been looking at it all day. The one, actually, you should see it for those who can't see it. It's yeah, no, sitting up on a plinth. Yeah. It's not like in the ground amongst a whole lot of other pineapples. It's like the pride of place in the middle of the garden. Mate, and I just, I'll explain that. Because we've been here for many, many years, and I think that's the third pineapple we've had. That, that takes it. It's not pineapple country. That takes a couple of years to get to that that point. So that hasn't gone up over six months. That's been there for for at least eighteen months. That pineapple, and oh, now right. and yeah, you, that's, that take a long time. Isn't yeah, it? you're here on the day that I'm going to cut it, and I'll put it on my uh, on my Instagram. We're going to do, we're gonna do that. Yep. that. It's actually a magnificent pineapple. It's not like some little half-baked thing is gone. It's just struggled. It's, yeah. like it's, it's going, I am. If, if Martians came down and said, I need a pineapple <laughs> to take back, that is the one. And it's yellow and it'll be sweet and I'm going to take the top of it off and replant that. Is it a Bathunga gold? <laughs> they, 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 were, they were the pinnacle. They were. Dad I, used to I, only I don't know whether there is a Bathunga gold, but it's, uh, I remember having one and I special, but I think I only got two portions out of it. But I think we're going to eat that today, you and I. I can't wait. We better wrap it up. <laughs> no, no, I got a couple more. Um, we've done that one. If um, I've done the chef one, uh, just a quick one on COVID because I don't know when mm. this is going to sort of drop into the world. But you know, was there? You mentioned before that it sort of brought out the best and the worst in people. Mm. What, what, from your, from your your point of view, what mm. has it sort of developed in you or made you consider differently, or mm. the pivots you've made in your in your you know, personal life and, and business, you know, can look it, it's in our world it's been it's been horrible. It's been devastating. Um and I don't think, you know, we're gonna come back from it for for a long, long period of time. Um I, I'm trying to think of the positive things out of it mm. that rather than the negative. Mm. Uh one positive is that you know it's 
be questions yourself on how much do you want and need. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's probably been a great reset at the same time. We're not out of it, but, you know, hopefully. And the other thing was, you know, my son who has been in Melbourne you know, studying and he came back at the beginning of it. Um, and, you know, one night he said, geez, Dad, it could be a lot worse. And I said, how could that be worse, Harry? What's just happened and, you know, all my businesses are shut down. He goes, you could be at home with your mum and dad and they could be really shit books. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. And what it, made me, what it made me think, if someone sort of mentioned this to me, like if in, in 20 years' time, if someone came to you, Charlie, and said, you know what, you're going to have a really shit year, you know, it's going to cost you a lot of money. The world's going to change, but I'm going to give you, you know, six months at home, chilling out with your family and kids. Mm. Um, would you take it? Fuck you. Yeah. Because mm. you're never going to get that time again. Mm. And, you know, and to have, you know, Harry around and Amelia around, you know, it's just been, I don't publicly talk about my kids. But it's just been great, you know. No Harry, one's going to listen to this, mate. No, so no, no. no. You, you <laughs> you know, Harry, Harry, Harry and I, you know, on Saturday nights we were drinking Negronis and he's drinking H. You know, Harry and I were drinking Negronis on Saturday nights and playing cards mm. and, you know, and having a great time. Doing things you would not normally you have normally done. never do. And, uh, and you know, it, it, that, that part of it, and even, even Harry said to me, he goes, you know, I could be in Melbourne studying with my mates or I could be up here and I've got some mates that I can mm. see. He goes, what I don't have in Melbourne is I don't have um, – than a family, mm. uh, you know, he's going back at the end of end of this month to to study because he's found the study pretty hard, um, you know, by himself. But you know, he's it's not complete lockdown in Victoria um, yet, mm. so hopefully, you know, next semester might be a bit easier for him. But yeah, look, you know, I've been thinking the positive and not the negative, and and you know, I'm pretty resourceful, so I've been doing. Zoom videos everywhere for companies and may you've been you know. on you totally social media just gone bananas. It's fantastic because it's giving people some inspiration. Yeah, to, you know they're yeah. stuck in the kitchens. Yeah, yeah, they're buying a new set of pans. You yeah, know, they're getting yeah. on your machine and going. Oh, this is yeah, and it's, it, that, that's been fun. And you know, I've been making a bit of money out of the corporate stuff and doing, you know, uh, live cooking classes. Mm. You know, and I've got I've got two yesterday. I think coming up one next week and one the week after, and that's been a bit of fun too. Mm. I love the expression. Um, it's one I don't think of often enough, but it's one that I do rely on sometimes. Is how do I see this as a gift? Yeah, yeah, it's true, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and and the the positiveness out of it, you know. But yeah, look, at the same time, it's been pretty shit. You know, I remember at the beginning of it, we <laughs> we had a board meeting and we we're talking about, God, what would this do if at you know affected ten percent of revenue? Now, what would it do if it did twenty percent of revenue? And someone just laughed and said, "Can you imagine if it did as 50 percent?" As <laughs> if three weeks later, we'll shut. <laughs> we had none. Oh, no, <laughs> but you're still here. Um, We're still here. Let's talk about positive things. Thankful for farmers. Yep. Um, we actually got to met to meet. Got we to, did. Got to met. I should, probably should have done studied English a bit better at school. Got to meet um, at um, the Delicious Food Awards last year, and and Thankful for Farmers is an organisation that had um, uh, had created a um, I guess an award or an opportunity for um, for someone, and I happened to be that person at that time. To, and that that, to that was a, that was that was purely this, and this is a great thing from the people watching. You know, that was it was uh, that the award. Let you come to New York, and that's how we met and hung out. Yeah, we went up to totally. up to um, 
up to the university and uh, and Cornell, Cornell, and mm-hmm. spent a bit of time and had a few dinners, and that was stressing me out because I thought, God, you know, this guy's going to win, and I've just agreed to bloody hang out with him in York. What happens if he's a dick? <laughs> <laughs> and I and I am, and it was a horrible trip. <laughs> Is <laughs> my man crush, Charlie? <laughs> well, the family's mutual, mate. Yeah, I know, but, but yeah, know, I know, mate. I don't get to just read your cookbooks anymore. I get to catch Taste up yeah, every now and again. And we need to be doing more of it. Yeah, we do. So, um, thankful um, happened, and, and you're yeah. you're you're an ambassador. Tell us about yeah. sort of the, it's um it's it's in its role in the world. What it, what it's going to do? Yeah, look, you know, thankful farmers is you know, and hopefully a lot of people don't realise that now that's rained that. You know, farmers are out of all the all the drought issues and and the issues they have of mental health and and you know when the guys came to me about it years ago when thankfuls first started it wasn't farmers mm. it's just thankful for what we are and what we've gotten to me it just made sense and and when when they came back and Kim said you know what can we do in Australia and we're talking about farmers it's just a no brainer um, you know our farmers are you know so important especially now you know. With the export thing that's happening and whatever else, and and in my life and what I do, you know, it if I didn't have farmers, mm. I wouldn't be who I am because I rely on on that and the produce that they they bring and and you know I did that show years ago, Paddy Payton, and, and that show really was just you know it was it was the best show for me because I got to travel around Australia and meet incredible guys that are really passionate. And I was just really the the you know facilitator of telling their story, mm. and farmers. Every farmer's got a great story to tell, mm, totally. and they're all so passionate about what they do, and they just never really, you know, get the 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 credit that they they need and deserve. Mm. Um, and you know how hard it is, you know, and I see both sides of it. Um, you know, I'm lucky that I have another income for my farm that you know otherwise we wouldn't be on it. Um, because there have been some lean years, um, and you know, and I just think that you know, as a as a community and as a nation, um, our farmers have done it too bloody tough. Um, in in every you know, even when it comes down to growing bloody fruit and veg, you know, they've just had the the hard end of the stick. You know, dairy farmers been doing a lot of work with Dairy Australia in the yeah. last last twelve months, yeah. and uh, and hopefully I will continue. Well, I will continue no matter what. We had a dairy farm and. Mm. You know what, 20-odd thousand dairy farms 20, 30 years ago to 5,000? Mm. Right, we're going, we're going to be buying milk from New Zealand. We can't let that happen. No, we can't do that. We can't let it happen. And, you know, I just think that, you know, we, we as, as my industry, because we rely on farmers and we've got to look after them a little bit, little bit more. Um, and, you know, we obviously work hand-in-hand hand with, with those guys. I, 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 during COVID, so the, I say that the best two days of my life, which is the produce awards. And mm. this year it was done very differently because um, every Wednesday I'd get boxes that I got, you know, from the earth. And I had all this, and I've got a photo of my table was covered in all this produce, and which is great because I was at home, so I was cooking the whole time. The next week it was all seafood and it was all meat and poultry and, and pork the next week. It was just, you know, I was just like a pig in shit. So different format because of the Different format because I wasn't, we weren't with the other guys. No, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Which is bad because I love the banter with the other chefs, you know, mm. Ella and I. No, we love to we love to um, love to hate each other. No, we don't. We love each other, but we love to we love to argue about what's good and what's bad. Um, she's very you know, Victorian centric, <laughs> <laughs> but I do. Let's not talk about Victoria. Right? No, 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 no. I do. I do love those guys, and, and it's great to be part of it and, and taste it. But it was really good to actually have it mm. and, and spend time. And because normally 
we'd get someone to come in and cook, you know, all the meat and all the fish and mm. Josh from, you know, would cook all the fish for us. So it was actually nice to do it on our own in our own time. So mm. I was making some bloody great dishes. <laughs> they look fantastic. If oh, I was having a lot of fun. There was smell of vision. And, and why I love it so much is, is you know, we, I'm sitting there judging the best produce in Australia mm. and, you know, God, how lucky am I to be able to do that? Mm. And, God, we, we are so lucky. You know, we have the best produce in the world. There's no question whatsoever and it's only getting better and better. It's just a segue away from thankful there for a minute. Um, talking about produce, um, we went to Italy, uh, family and I, um, last year for a couple of months and mm. a long-awaited um, tri- trip. And Angelica, my wife, is half Italian, so that's well Italy. And I can't tell you how often we would just long for mm. some Aussie, you know, mm. salads and just that that variety and that creativity. We don't no, get me wrong; the passes were incredible and mm. the scenery and everything. There's not, I didn't have a bad meal there. But just it was like we were feeling a little, a little bit spoiled here, aren't we? We are spoiled. We're spoiled for choice. Um, and, you know, look, you go back to when I first started cooking, you go to your, your crisper and there would be an iceberg lettuce. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Love, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I love iceberg. Is there any other kind? And then there was a, then there was a cos. Wow. Mm. And now, yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> you know, we might have sometimes, you know, 10 varieties. There might be 100 varieties now mm. that we can buy. Um, and, you know, that's just a, it's just a continuation, I suppose, of, of what's been started. And, and even now, you know, I, I find things that I've never seen before. Mm. And it, it, it's just, it's, it's a great industry to be in. And I, that's why it's never, never a dull moment because everything's always changing. And those things, those seeds and those varieties have always been there. It's just always. that there's a, you know, there's a resurgence, this heirloom and the, mm. the traditional things and, and, and keeping that, that seed sovereignty. Um, I think it's a really, um, it's a really wonderful, you know, like diggers, um, you know, diggers club and, and those guys who are just, um, they're protecting yeah. those, 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 well, you call them a resource, but those, that they're assets. You know? They are, they, they are. And, you know, and, and, and that's as a, as a cook, you know, to have different things all the time is, is great to, great to use. And they get better too. You know, the more, the more people get into, I remember the first heirloom tomatoes that came in, they mm. weren't that great. Mm. Um, and you know, people just took a little bit more care in them and, and, and nurtured it a bit more. And, and now we've got God, we've got some great stuff. It's some great stuff. But you know, also we should be using it in season, season also. Seasonality. Now let's get back to Sangfor because I want to yep. sort of. Um, uh, I understand. Yeah. Mm. What's your What's your role there, um, Matt? And, and how does that sort of um, what What are thankful doing in the world? Thankful for farmers um, doing in the world. Look, you know, we're, we're um, you know, obviously COVID knocked us around a bit, um, you know, and I've been talking to Kim and Mike, quite, Mike's birthday is actually. Um, mm-hmm. Happy birthday, happy Mike. Happy birthday. 35. 35. No, it's, no, 85, isn't it? <laughs> okay. I think he might have been 50. Actually. I mean, it's everyone somewhere in the middle. Everyone's 50, <laughs> um, as far as I'm concerned, which is a new 30. Um, you know, Thankful Farmers is, uh, it, it's about, you know, um, you know, it's not just about, giving money it's about educating and you know i think a lot of farmers are very staid in their ways and i think they need to you know they they whenever way we can help with technology and mm-hmm. and uh and make it more progressive rather than sort of just doing what they've always done um and a lot of them are, are, are guilty of that and diversify i think mm-hmm. is really important for farmers um for what they can what they can do you know, i remember i remember at white springs my father used to say that we used to just grow potatoes all the time Mm. Um, it used to be a bit wetter back in those days, I think, too. Um, but, you know, diversification on, on my farm, you know, pigs, sheep, cattle, mm. Mm. little cabins. Um, I want to do chooks. 
Um, you know, there's a million things that I want to do, you know, and I want to change the farming philosophy mm-hmm. a lot more too. It's hard when you've got someone stuck in their ways. Um, but, you know, Thankful for Farmers is, you know, whenever you, whenever you see it, the logo, um, you know if you're buying something um, or someone's supporting it, you know that it's going to, to good. And, mm. uh, and Kim and Mike are just salt of the earth, bloody good people. Unreal, are they? they? They're just good people. And, you know, we're, we're talking to people at the moment trying to get a bit of a paddock to plate thing back up again and, mm. and it might be renamed, you know, to, to help you know, with, with, that, uh, with that interest. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of – I think we've got a meeting with them next week. There's a lot of opportunities coming up. Yeah, so thankful. You know, they they partner with brands. It's there's the logos on products. You you know, you, you find them in the and that and and a percentage of what they're selling goes to a to a basically a, mm. a fund, which is then um, used to help farmers, um, you know, change their you know improve as it were or be more regenerative in their approach mm. or help community or help you know the, the, the uptake of yeah mental health, which is a another one. Matt, we we better um you've probably got. You got a tasting to go to. You got the I, best job in the world. I, I do, you know. Like no, hard work tastings. It's it's more about you know you got to go and and uh, taste all this beautiful food that Joel's <laughs> going to cook at Aria. Like, <laughs> what a what a horrible gig. Yeah, but horrible. I think I'm out of questions there. Yeah, I have. Of course, I think we've covered them. We've jumped all over the place. Yeah, I do that. Um, but you you didn't actually need much prompting to be honest. Because <laughs> oh, one last question before. Yep. No, it's two. I'll make make them quick. You've mentioned a few of your mentors already. Are there mm. any? Is there anyone else that you you sort of not just to acknowledge, but just to sort of I don't know, just you know, um, yeah. Well, I guess acknowledge that that have been important in your life. You know, and it doesn't have to be like a chef. It could be some. Mm. You know, I don't know. Oh, look, any 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 chef is a mentor to me. You know, and there's people that I've looked up to. You know, over the years. You know, Australian chefs. You know. Tetsuya and Neil and, and Stefano and all those sort of guys, you know, my mates overseas, Gordon and whatever, and what they've achieved and what they were when you know, we all first started out and how we've done all right. Um, hard times at the moment. Um, you know, there's been people over the years that have come in and out of my life that I've sort of, you know, grabbed onto and, and learned as much as I possibly can. Um, you know, I don't probably need to name who they are. They know who they are. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's in business or whether it's in life, um, you know, where our industry is very tight and a lot of people don't realise that. Mm. You know, a lot of people think that we are competitive and that we all don't like each other. We actually all are really good mates. Mm. Um, you know, I remember the TV chefs when I was on TV, everyone used to say, that person hates that person, that person hates that person, but they don't get it. We actually are all really good friends mm. and, um, and we're trying to support each other as much as we can through this whole, you know, drama that we've got. Um, yeah, they're my mentors. You know, you're my mentor, buddy. You know what I've learned well, from my, you. Well, we'll swap. We'll swap notes. I'm learning. I'm not generally allowed in the kitchen, but I can sort of I can do it vicariously via your Instagram. It's great. Um, and if you had uh, Matt, if you had a, a billboard on the side of the highway somewhere, yep. What would um, and you're allowed to write anything on it? That uh, what would it say? You know, um, be kind. <laughs> be kind, and I'm sure a lot of people say that, but you know. It's it's not hard to to put yourself in someone else's position and, and look from through their eyes. And I've been thinking about that a lot of therapy lately <laughs> um, because of the COVID thinking. Oh no, just thing. you know, I think it's just good to to talk to people. I think, and um, you know, something that I've learned is you know, it, it's put yourself in other people's positions, mm. and I think that's really really important. Um, you know, I've seen you know, some things that. Haven't haven't been great, and people going, "Oh, that person's 
been really horrible, you know, blah, 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 because, you know, they're not considerate and, you know, that person probably hasn't paid rent for a month or so, you know. Think of the person that's on the other side that, you know, needs that just as mm. much. You know? So I think it's just, just try and be kind as much as you possible and think about, think about what other people are going through at the same time. You know what, that's a, that's a, that is, people, other people have said that, be kind, and I think it's wonderful because there's a theme, and if that's where our collective consciousness is going, and I'm only just plucking a few from here and there, I think that's a really good thing, mm. you know. It's, a, it's, a, it's um, why wouldn't you be? You know? mm. Why wouldn't mm. one be kind? And, you know, we're, we're, we've been in this horrible situation, we're coming out of it, so just, just take it easy. <laughs> be kind to your, to your waiter when you go to a restaurant. <laughs> oh, totally. And um, look them in the eye. And um, uh, for those who've been in hospital, and I used to do some work at the Lord Dudley there at the Sheaf. Mm. Actually, Luke used to work at. He was at the yeah, the Sheaf. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, did years ago. I was a, I was a glassy and, and, a, and a barman there. Um, it's a really, it's a wonderful learning. It's a wonderful industry for people to learn um, people skills and social skills. Yeah, because you are at the receiving end of yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah, you are, and. Uh, you know, I had Harry working at Opera Bar over over Christmas time. It was, it was good for him. Well, my mum actually said I finished uni, and she's and I was a bit of a loose end, and I thought I better go home to the farm. And she said, "Why don't you go and work in, in Sydney in a pub for a couple of years?" And mm. I did, and I tell you what, I learned so much. You know? I bet you had a lot of fun though too, Charlie. I did at the Dudley <laughs> down there, and it hasn't changed much. <laughs> Jamie Couchet, you are a legend. <laughs> Thank you for all the lessons and the stories that you tell, mate. Talking about stories. Matt, thank you so much for the stories you've told us today. I can't tell you what an honour it is to be sitting here in Chiswick. Chiswick. Let's go go slaughter a pineapple. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) it. And then you've got to go and taste some yummy food. Yep. Um, Thanks, mate. It was so so fun. Love you. Well, there you go. I so enjoyed my chat with with Matt at his restaurant, one of his signature restaurants there in Malara, Sydney, called Chiswick. And the taste of that pineapple is still in my mouth. It was absolutely insane. Um, next week, I am very excited to release Hamish Mackay. Hamish, um, we're going to explore the world of biodynamics. Hamish and I have been running courses for many years now. Met Hamish about 15 years ago. Certainly changed my life in introducing a concept that really resonated with me. Um, it really put a lot of structure around the farming we just em- embarked on. That's a different type of farming, regenerative farming. My respect and reverence for Hamish uh, grows daily and every time we do a workshop, I learn something new. So that's up next week and um, very excited to explore the world of biodynamics with Hamish. He is, dare I say, one of the most most well-versed um, biodynamic practitioners and teachers in the world. Looking forward to that one next week with Hamish Mackay. This episode was brought to you by Food. From the farmer, producer, housewife or chef, biodynamic and organic is definitely best. Pulled from the soil, plucked from the vine, nourishing your body, then washed down with wine. Cook it with friends and family too. Support your local farmer because they are good to you. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.